This episode is sponsored by our friends at Fujifilm North America. Their X-Series digital cameras and lenses may just give you that creative edge you're looking for in your portraits and events. You'll find everything from 40 megapixel image quality to 40 frames per second bursts, plus unique in-camera film simulation modes and effortless usability. Click the link in the episode description to find the full range. There has never been a better time to invest in your passion, so make sure to click the link. Hey there, it's Nikki Klosser, and I want to let you know about an awesome free giveaway for people on our email list. If you haven't already, click the link in our podcast description or go to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up to get on the list. If you sign up, you'll get a free posing 101 PDF to jumpstart things. It's an epic PDF, so you'll definitely want to get this. Also, just by being in our email community, you'll get deals, sales, and information about any of our upcoming events and activities. So head over to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up and sign up today. You're listening to the Portrait System Podcast. The biggest problem with photographers among many is comparing yourself with others. I'll never be sued, therefore I'll never be happy. Or waking up to Instagram and thumbing photographs and saying, oh my God, I'll never be good as that person. Well, you're comparing yourself with someone who's been doing it for 10, 20, 30 years. This is the Portrait System Podcast, a show that helps portrait photographers and people hoping to become one navigate the world of photography, business, money, and so much more. We totally keep it real. We share stories about the incredible ups and the very difficult downs when running a photography business. I'm your host, Nikki Klosser, and the point of this podcast is for you to learn actionable steps that you can take to grow your own business and also to feel inspired and empowered by the stories you hear. Today's guest is the world-renowned wedding and portrait photographer, Jerry Guiones, and he definitely does not hold back during our interview. Jerry is highly awarded by photography organizations in several different countries, and he shares with us exactly how he hustled to build his business when he first started. Something I really loved about chatting with him is that he also gives us a pretty big glimpse into his personal life and also how he determines which direction he wants to take his business as he learns and grows. You will never believe where Jerry had his very first studio. I mean, this is like the definition of making it work and finding a way. Jerry is so insightful and funny, and this is definitely an interview I will never forget. Okay, let's get started with the one and only Jerry Guiones. Hi, Jerry. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm so good. Thank you so much for being here with me today. This is going to be so fun. I can't wait. I've heard a lot about you, and we're going to see if it's true by the end of this. Well, (laughs) I hope good things, and hopefully they will be true. We'll find out, I guess. (laughs) So where are you right now? Are you in Vegas? Yes, we're in Las Vegas. We are so-called quarantining, but life is good with a a wife and two dogs. Yeah, very cool. And okay, so I have so many questions to ask you and just so much to cover. But before we do that, tell me a little bit about where you're – okay, so I know you're in Vegas now, but I think – you used to be in LA. Obviously, you're from Australia. Give us just like a little bit of a synopsis of how you ended up in Vegas. Man, it's I'll give you the yeah I'll give you the short short part of it. So, born and raised in Melbourne, Australia, uh, from a Greek background. So, I consider myself Greek. But when I'm outside Australia, I've got to say my, I'm Australian because you think I'm from Greece. Ah, so, <laughs> so anyway, been traveling relentlessly uh, all around the world for a long time. I'd say for about twenty years and. Ended up at the point where I was looking at my hotel bills in LA because I'd always go to LA, spend some time there to acclimatize to, to the to the time differences, and then I would travel interstate for for shooting, teaching, whatever it may be. 
And I looked at my hotel bill. I'm like, man, I, I could rent a place full time mm-hmm. and even be empty for 90% of the year and still be cheaper than my hotel bill. So at that time I thought, all right, well, LA seemed to be one flight from the East Coast, one flight to Melbourne. And at that time I fell in love with an American, you know, her name is sometimes Green Card, uh, <laughs> but no, it was a coincidence. It just you know it just made made it e- a little bit easier. And mm-hmm. basically, we got married. We lived in LA for about seven years. Realized that I'm not really the only time I get angry is in traffic, oh. and I'm I'm not an angry person. And to to take two hours to take. <laughs> that would uh, normally take 20 minutes to go to the airport. And I'm like, it's so expensive. I loved LA. I love the experience. And my dad being a very proud Greek dad was very excited to tell, you know, all his friends that his son lives in Beverly Hills. <laughs> and then we said, screw this. Let's go to a place that has more space because we wanted a place that we could photograph in, teach in, have guests. And who knew that living with a, you know, with a swimming pool would add a whole lot of joy to my life. <laughs> so, so much joy, so much joy. <laughs> oh my goodness. And then we ended up moving here about three years ago and we love it, absolutely love it. We're eight minutes from the airport. We're probably about the same from the strip. So when we want a little bit of entertainment and excitement, we can go there, but we can just nest and have some fun and photograph and teach here all day long and, and life is really good. So we're really enjoying uh, living in Vegas. Oh, that's so awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. One thing I know about you is that you are the most awarded photographer from WPPI of all time, right? You've got the most awards. It's amazing what bribery does. You can get them from eBay now. <laughs> that's but- how you're grandmaster. <laughs> well, look, yeah, look, I, I, I'm very, very proud of the influence that, that I have had from WPPI and, and what we've given back as well. It's It's been a great ride. I, I, I enjoy the process you know, the, the trophy is just the, the icing on the cake. But for me, it's always been about the creative process, the, the, the mm-hmm. pure act of creating something different, something unique. And it's been a great journey. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I assume that it didn't just like magically happen that you, you know, are so awarded and have this amazing, not only photography career, but education career as well. Like, how did you get there? <laughs> and I know that's probably not a simple story, but I'm wondering if you would share with everyone where you started. Like, did you always do photography? Were you something else before for a career? Or has, has this always been it for you? Well, I came out of the womb with a Nikon camera and born a genius. Um, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> it's funny because I even had this question last week. Someone sort of said, look, you know, can you teach someone to be creative? And then this will be a, a prelude to the answer that you, or, you know, the answer to the question that you gave me. I think certainly some people are just born with a gift. Mm-hmm. And, and the analogy that I gave is that you know most comedians they're just they're just born funny. Like you just have this natural knack of seeing right. something ordinary or mundane and somehow finding the humor in it. I think with photographers, I think the only thing that you're really born with is the eye, as in the eye for composition, because you're not born knowing lighting, you're not born knowing posing. Mm -hmm. Certainly some personalities are conducive of interacting with people. So I love to have fun. I think my two strongest assets is my humor and my empathy. So I, I really care about people and I love to have a laugh. Mm-hmm. So I think that was just part of my nature. But I was given my my first camera at the age of 15 by my brother, Nick. He's also a photographer. So I became obsessed just like everybody who ever held a camera. I used to sh- shoot anything and everything. I, nothing. I didn't discriminate in terms of genre. I would photograph 
streetscapes, landscapes. My brother at the time was working security for one of the newspapers and I, and he would do night shift and I would photograph just industrial the buildings and internal structures to make them look human. I would wake up at three in the morning to walk out in the fog and make you know, my neighbor's houses almost look sinister. I would, mm-hmm. I was that guy with the camera that annoyed everybody because I just wanted to photograph anything and everything and all the time. And basically I didn't really excel in high school because I didn't need to. I, I knew I wanted to be a photographer. I thought, all right, let me just pass high school, get my, you know, year 12 certificate like I passed high school. But I was just a social butterfly. <laughs> I would hang out with the jocks or the equivalent in Australia. I would, you know, I was Greek. So there'd be the Greeks, the Italians, the Asians, the nerds, the whatever. I mean, like I was the guy that was in common with everybody. Oh, I love that. And I loved it because I just love mm-hmm. people. So for me, mm-hmm. in, that people intrigue me and not just shallow crap. You know, I'm talking about... I get deep very quickly with people and yeah. I appreciate that depth and I often do it from left field and that's really fun. But so anyway, I finished high school. I worked at a few camera stores. So I wanted to basically just be around the industry. And I was that guy who went up to the owner and said, how many, what do you have the most cameras of? Like which brand, which model do you have a lot of stock of? I said, great, give me the manual. I'll read it. And the following day, that will be the best camera in the store. And then I would sell like nobody else. So I would often educate myself and in anything that I did. And then Mm -hmm. during that time, I'm like, okay, I want to do a course of photography. So RMIT, a very famous school or a college in Australia actually rejected me because I wasn't good enough. And even though like, (laughs) well, I mean, like you want, you want me to be a photographer before I joined to be a photographer. I'm like, that's like coming to America and saying, I want credit, but I won't give you a credit card until you get credit. And I'm like, well, how do I get credit? <laughs> right. So, right, so backwards. So anyway, even though that I, at least to what I thought, I had a decent body of hobby work to get in, but they rejected me. So it was a four-year private photography school. And then during that year, I learned all about the darkroom and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, man, just teach me something useful. Teach me street smart. So I got fed up. I quit after a year because they were teaching me what I call the algebra of photography. I mean, mm-hmm. just give me street smart. So I quit. And all, all my fellow students and my friends said, no, what are you doing? Come on, you got three years left, whatever. I'm like, you guys do that. I, I don't care about a certificate. I just care about living in the real world. So then in the Italian district of Melbourne, um, there's a street called Ligon Street. And there was this very... A famous ice cream shop on the corner and a few doors down there was a, a very popular photography studio and, and what you would normally do is you'd get your ice cream and then you would go to the studio and you would see the photographs scroll up and down in that studio so I'm like I've got nothing to lose knocked on the door walked in I said my name is Jerry I'm a hobbyist I want to do this as a profession can I carry your bags on the weekends so I did that for a year and a half with no pay on the weekends and then I ended up working for them full-time, managing that studio for three and a half years. Then I left and started my own business. And at that time, there was a recession in, in Australia. We, the interest rates were like 28%. Wow. My family, we come from an entrepreneurial background. My mum and dad were going through a tough time together. They were overseas trying to make money. So mum was in the rag trade. Dad was always in entertainment and food. So he was overseas. My brothers were newly married. I was actually home alone from 12 till 20. 
So like I have a montage of my childhood, which was incredible, but from 12 till about 20, I often remember being in this empty house Mm -hmm. and I was very happy with my childhood. I mean, I honestly, I'm very thankful. And I had an, I mean, our house was the party house, like Greek music playing, like a hundred people over for every week was a normal thing for us. So anyway, I I was driving my brother's van, mum and dad again, everyone was out of the house. The van got repossessed under me. I go home one day, the water gets cut off, electricity gets cut off the next week, the gas turns off. So here I am in this empty shell of a house with no services. And then finally the bank took over the house. So they changed the locks. So here I am, 19 years of age. I'm like, well, well, what do I do now? There's no one physically of my immediate family in in my city at the house. So I broke into my house uh, because I knew there was a window they couldn't close. And then I rescued all the belongings. We rented a place and then at least we rescued what you could shake out of the house, so to speak. And at the time I got married, I got married for the first time and um, I got married when I was 20. What the hell was I thinking? But either way, (laughs) so I got married at 20. I didn't get married in my family home. So that, that was, I felt upset about that. And and it sort of, it stung quite a bit because we're very family orientated and and being from a Greek family and all of a sudden I'm in this sort of strange rented home getting ready to get married. It was just a, a little bit weird. But so anyway, from there, I, when I started my own business, my brothers owned a charcoal chicken to go food store. And it was on a corner of a, of a busy suburban street. And there was a separate door on the side of the building. And I said to my brothers, look, because we're all suffering at this stage, right? So I said, look, can I build a wall in your storeroom and I can operate my studio from there, which I did. So my studio was at the back of a chicken shop. In the chicken shop. Yeah. Way to make it work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I couldn't afford anything, right? So I went to the Salvation Army to buy sofas. I got my auntie to, to, I bought material and I bought leopard skin couches. So leopard skin material. So she sewed the leopard skin, uh, um, you know, the the cover of the sofas and everything like that. I bought an old TAC TV, which is probably like, you know, 15 inch TV and built it into the wall. And I operated my studio from this back of the chicken shop. And and my first year, I shot 25 weddings. The following year, I shot 50. The following year, I shot 100. Oh, my gosh. Then I doubled my prices and I shot 100 weddings a year again. And then in 2000, 2001, I saw air above the building and I went to the overall landlord and I said, hey, what will it take for you to build a second level above this building? I said, if you build it, I will rent it. So I took a year to convince him, a year to build. And then sure enough, that small little bedroom that was my entire studio for a hundred weddings plus countless portraits a year, that was the the lobby or the foyer of the of the building now. And then we reinvented the studio name. So now we became we called Excite, X S I G H T, Excite. And Australia at the time was quite funny. Australia had, I think, one of the first gold-class movie theatres in the world. Like, you know how now you you can find these small theatres that have recliner couches and you can order food into the film and all that kind of stuff. So Australia, I believe, was one of the first to do it. So I, when I saw that first movie, I said, my studio is going to be the first gold-class theatre in our industry. So we were so busy, we ended up building this red carpet area, six sofas, big screen TV, surround sound. We would see six couples at once. 
So by the time the first couple came and the last couple came, it'll be like a mini cocktail party as they're observing my albums and photographs. Then when the last couple came, we could seat them down, blow them away with an incredible audio visual with champagne and jelly beans, whatever, chocolate, and then would separate in separate groups to see who would book them first. So at my peak, we were doing 300 plus weddings a year and countless portraits. We had 15, yeah, 15 staff members and we built this incredible studio and I learned my craft. And I honestly say for those people listening out there who perhaps don't identify with weddings, I think weddings is the, is the best genre of photography to learn the art and craft from because with a wedding, you, you shoot everything. I mean, you're shooting weddings, you're shooting mm-hmm. portraits, you're shooting mm-hmm. fashion, you're shooting streetscapes, landscapes, details. You take the veil off, it's a portrait, take your clothes off, it's maternity, <laughs> have a baby, it's newborn, have yep. kids grow up. I mean, you're photographing everything with time constraints, weather uh-huh. constraints, under pressure. So it really- It's like boot camp. Oh my God, I mean, it, is. it really is. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And from there, I ended up, I mean, now I, I shoot anything to do with people. So whether it's fashion, portraits, boudoir, editorial, and that was my the best testing ground. So now it's been, man, I'm 27 years shooting professionally since I was 20. So I've just turned 47 last month and I've been teaching for about 20 years now. So wow. there's the quick long story of what you are just asking. Wow. <laughs> so there's so much in there that I want to ask you about. Going way back to when you said you knew you're going to be a photographer, like mm-hmm. high school, get me through it. It's so interesting how it can be different. I don't know if it's just being in Australia or different families or whatever. Like, I loved my, in, in high school, my photography class. It was darkroom. I mean, it was, you know, film way back then. Right. And I loved it. Never once, Jerry, did it occur to me that I could be a photographer for a living. That's just not how it went. It was you went to college, you got a degree doing something, you know, business or whatever. For me, it ended up being social work. Like it never even crossed my mind I could do it for a living. It's amazing how different it can be from family to family and just culture to culture. Yeah, I, that's that's fascinating too. I, I find that the American culture certainly is different to the Australian culture in many ways. As an example, like it's not ingrained in you in Australia that you must do university. Whereas in America, it's all about college. You've got to go to college. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just that's just a given. So for me, Watching movies about college, like, you know, you've got American Pie or Animal House or like (laughs) all these funny movies that like sophomore, I don't know what they mean. I don't know what year they mean. Mm -hmm. We just call it high school, year year Mm -hmm. seven to 12. And this is no bullshit. Only only last week I photographed my first graduation portrait. Really? Yeah. So so someone comes to me and says, all right, photograph my son. Okay. I'm like, well... So from what I, obviously from what I know, from what I see on TV and movies, you know, you've got the graduation cap and you've got the gown. There's no, there's none of that. On the last day in Australia, when you finish high school, everyone signs your shirt with a Sharpie and we call it, we call it a texter, not a Sharpie. But anyway, you get a Sharpie and you sign your name and that's it. You graduate. There's no pomp and circumstance and everything like that. I'm like, dude, you you pass high school. It's no big deal. Like, (laughs) but anyway, so so the mother says to me, photograph my son. And we just want something very simple and traditional. So I ended up photographing the cap and gown and I have some beautiful Oliphant backgrounds, which I know of course Sue uses as among many. So there I am cap and gown, looking at the camera, smiling. And I'm like, this is boring as hell. I go, this is just silly. So I'm like, are we happy now? Are you happy? Okay. Let me do it my way. 
So I grab two strobes, bare bulb. I get the flash illuminating, Tyler is his name, Tyler on his face. I shoot against a seven foot octobox. So I've got a clean white background. I backlight him and I, I just very, very quickly, we did this really, really cool contemporary graduation portrait. Then I'm like, I look over and I've got a friend of mine who's parking their RV in our driveway because we've got a very big driveway. And then the sun was reflecting off a window back on the actual RV. And I'm like, all right, we're about to finish up. I'm like, we have to do this. Now, in the meantime, he was very, Tyler is, and I say this with all respect, just a typical teenager, doesn't really fit into his skin properly, probably Mm -hmm. watches, you know, Netflix and plays games on, you know, PlayStation and eats Doritos. I mean, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Typical American teenager. Yeah. Doesn't, and you know, you can't really have a conversation with him yet. Like he's sort of still fitting in. So I'm like, I'm looking at him. I'm like, dude, you got to change out of those clothes. Let's. So I go to my wardrobe. I sex him up. I make him look like a rock star. I got it. I've got a. I've got a hat. I bought. I've got this sort of like <laughs> cowboy hat. I got him. I'm with a denim uh, top, white t-shirt, black jeans, boots. I got. I've got a few. You know wristbands and anyway, we made him look like a rock star. And he's feeling awesome. He's looking great. So then what I do is I place him in front of the RV. I've got the sun reflecting off a piece of glass, giving him backlight. That's hitting the RV, reflecting back on him. I'm getting the flare of the sun at the same time. I take a couple of photographs. He looks at the the back of the camera and he's like freaking out. And the mother started to cry. He's like, I've never felt and looked so good. Oh, I love it. And I guess that really really encompasses what I do. Um, Very early in my career, I had the foresight to photograph behind the scenes of of what I did. Does that make sense? In other words, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. my assistant, Sally Ann Sargood, who works with Animoto now, she was my personal assistant for seven years. And she goes, Jerry, do you realize that not many people shoot like you? I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, so she encouraged me to photograph a lot of the behind the scenes. And that turned into launching one of the first online educational platforms. So then I, I took on this MacGyver style approach. I'm like, how can I make something out of nothing? because I honestly believe that you photograph the way you are as a person. So in other words, if you're an asshole, <laughs> it, <laughs> it'll probably show up in your work. And, yeah. and, and I say that in jest, but let me explain. If you're a negative person, you'll walk into a room that has crap everywhere and not know where to shoot because you just see the crap. Uh-huh. Yes. Whereas I walk into a room and I see a pocket of light and a blank wall and I see a blank canvas and I know I can create something really beautiful, even though that it's very challenging and under the circumstances, it's terrible. So that became one of the hallmark or trademarks of, of my work in terms of, oh, Jerry's the guy that can make something out of nothing. And among other stuff, but it ended up being a really fun approach to the way I shoot and challenging myself to do that rather than, you know, sometimes people get the perception of me or the likes of Sue or anyone with a decent or high profile in the industry that, we're only decent because we only photograph good-looking people in great locations and so right. on and so forth. I'm like, well, that's just silly. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, is it easier with someone, quote-unquote, flawless, pretty, whatever, in a, in a perfect gown and a great location? Well, yeah, it, you know, anything's easier when you have that. But it's so funny because I often get the best sales 
from, again, the quote-unquote not-so-pretty people in a sense that normal people just like you and me, right? Just normal right. people. No, yeah. You know, we're not a, t- a perfect 10. We're not a five. We might be a six and a half. <laughs> and then yep, all of a sudden yep. the photographer sees them and then brings out the best in them and they go, oh, my goodness. Like, I can't, I can't promise you that I'm going to make you look like Scarlett Johansson, but I do promise <laughs> you that I can bring out the best in you, whatever that looks and feels like and whatever we want to portray in this particular photograph. And yeah. But anyway, yeah. I mean, there's lots of facets to that, but that gives you an idea. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, making it work, and, and that's something that Sue teaches all the time, is making it work. So people out there who are like, I can't find a studio, or you know, there's nothing in my town, or whatever. Here you are. You made a studio in a back of a chicken shed. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. if that's not making it work, I don't I don't. No, you know, I mean, that's just, it's incredible. You can always find a way, find a way. 100%. That's a classic example right there. And also, like you said, it's, you know, for you, especially I bet with doing all of those weddings, all of those years where you start to look at the light bouncing off an RV, for example, completely differently because you had to back then in order to make beautiful portraits with whatever situation you're in or location. I mean, it just seems like it was the best training. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I often tell people like when I'm, when I'm doing in-person workshops and we're walking around a location or whatever, it's so funny that photographers, if they don't see a pro photo sticker on a light source, they don't see it as a light source. Right. I'm right. like, guys, if it illuminates Mm-hmm. Freaking use it. Like, mm-hmm. use it. It's right there. It makes no difference. And yes, do I have pro photo? Do I have this light, that light? I mean, I've invented the ice light for goodness sake. I know about light. But why I don't always use the same light on every job is because my work looks one-dimensional and works. it looks very predictable. So when someone says to me, well, I'm the, I'm, I'm the off-camera flash guy, I'm like, okay, does your off-camera flash suit the subject matter and what you're trying to say about them? And they look at me like I just told them, you know, <laughs> something <them>. something incredibly <laughs> profound, which I guess in many ways it is. It's totally fine. That That's the mm-hmm. tool of your trade. You do what you do. But really we have to shoot more purposefully, you know, and I find mm-hmm. that that's a difference between me now and maybe when I started is that I would just think of it as flattery. Like well, how can I make someone look and feel pretty? or look and feel cool or handsome. And now I say, well, what am I trying to say about this person? What light and shadow and composition, cropping, lens choice, compression, what all of these things, what can I do that will help communicate what I'm trying to say about this person or what they want to say about themselves? So, and I think that's when you become an artist because a photographer just takes pictures, an artist creates. And the more you communicate something, the more you feel about something, now that's where in the, the artist territory. Yeah. And and it's a whole different ballgame, certainly when you're trying to sell it. But but yeah, that's some cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really great way to look at it. It really is. And in turn it just it goes back to you serving the client and, and what is it that, that works best for the client. And and like you said, the most flattering and it does. It goes back to that for sure. Sure. Absolutely. So okay. Back then, you said you, at one point, you were doing, your company anyway, was doing 300 weddings a year. Like, that's insane. How were you getting these clients back then? Like, I mean, clearly you're good at, you know, socializing and talking with people or whatever. Like, what were you doing? Man, it was good old-fashioned hustle. And I teach this to this day. I think too many people in 2020 and, and recently, ever since 
internet and, and social media, people mm-hmm. are, have a decent Facebook page or a decent website, some Facebook advertising, maybe some Instagram. They've got some decent SEO and they'll let me wait in the inbox so that the mm-hmm. inquiries come. I'm like, no. And I sound old here, but every business really is based upon relationships. Mm-hmm. And for me, I was so hungry to put myself on the map. And it wasn't so much an ego thing. It was just because, you know what, this is what this is what I do. It's just a good old fashioned hustle. So I was the kind of guy that would drive to reception venues, notice the blank walls, arrange a photo shoot with my favorite designer, favorite suit place, florist, cake, whatever, produce these beautiful photographs, go to a magazine, get the front cover of a magazine, advertise on the back cover, produce a magazine for everyone to advertise in, produce audio visuals for every single company that I work with, basically spoil people in positions of power that have one degree of separation between me and the, the people that I want. In other words, a designer is a dressmaker. Well, they're going to want some photographs. So what I used to do is I'd find out the designer's name and I would basically photograph that p- particular dress on the weekend print a a 20 by 30 enlargement, frame it, get their logo, my logo, print it, and then send it to the client. Because Mm -hmm. cold calling is often very difficult because they're busy or whatever. And I'm like, well, no one ignores a FedEx package because everyone feels very (laughs) sexy. It's like, oh my God, I'm important. I got a FedEx package. Oh my God, Wilson. No, not Wilson. But (laughs) And then all of a sudden this, this thing comes up and I might say something like, Every time I photograph a beautiful dress, it happens to be yours. If you ever meet someone that appreciate beautiful photography of your dresses and a great experience, I'm your guy. Here's a token oh, of my appreciation brilliant. for your wonderful artistry. And by the way, here are some photographs that you can use on social media. Please uh, tag me in every single photograph. And anytime that you need something, please let me know. Amazing. What happens is people will do that with 10 dressmakers or nine dressmakers, and they get no response, realizing that the 10th would have been the one that would have said yes. So for me, anyone who knows me and people who've known me for my whole life know, know that I'm relentless and I, I always get what I want. And I, I don't say that this is not an ego thing. It's sure. just that sure. I have a single focus and relentless pursuit for what I want to achieve. Mm-hmm. And it's not always what one thinks it is. You know, when I was younger and had less purpose and I wasn't happy, especially in my first marriage, it's part of what made me successful. So I wasn't happy at home. And believe it or not, I was married for 16 years on my first marriage. And I, I grew up very religious. I wasn't that guy that was a player. Like I, I, when everyone was going out and all that stuff, I was carrying bags. I was shooting weddings. Mm -hmm. And then what helped made me successful is actually me being miserable in my first marriage because the only thing that gave me joy was photography and and clients. And, and there's nothing personal to my former partner. You know, we, she, she doesn't really enjoy people, doesn't enjoy traveling, doesn't enjoy photography. I'm like, well, shit, that's just three strikes. (laughs) Right. Right. My, the same relentless loyalty and commitment that I have made me last for 16 years faithful to the end. Mm -hmm. So I just got to a point where I'm like, you know, I asked my former partner, I said, do you love yourself? And because you're suffering from depression, she says, no. I said, well, you've got no chance of loving me. And then that's when I knew that the writing was on the wall. And after six months from that conversation, we moved on and then that was it. And then, so since then, as a photographer, I find that 
that's just the thing, right? I find that we, we all have stages. If you're a photographer listening to this podcast, the stage that you go through is that you just want to be a pro, right? You want to turn your hobby into a, being a pro. Then you want profit. You want to make money, right? So you want to be a pro. You want to make money. And then you want to master what you do. And then you're looking for purpose. And I find that for me, I'm just at that age in my life, whether it's as an artist and as a human being, that I'm just looking for purpose, And if if anyone's asking about business identity and questions and things like that, and I've seen people, photographers do these business plans, 20, 30, 40 pages long. And I'm like, let me simplify everything that you've just said. Ask yourself the following question. How do you make the most amount of money for the least amount of time, for the least amount of investment, for the most amount of fun? (laughs) And they're like, oh shit, Jerry, I just paid like three grand to get this. this." (laughs) You just told me in one sentence. And so every time I have a business opportunity, I ask myself that question. And I'm like, if this does not bring me joy, I'm not going to do it. If it's not efficient or it's a huge risk at the risk of my balanced life or health or whatever it might be, more money is not going to make me happier, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even though that I'm not rich and I don't, you know, I mean, certainly I, I lost a lot of a lot in my divorce, pretty much everything, but but that's okay. I What I have now with Melissa, I've been married for her to her more, almost 10 years and I wake up in bliss every day and I go to bed in bliss and I married literally even before I was with her, I said, this is the most beautiful person I've ever actually met. And now I'm married to her. And the difference with me is some people are happy, but they don't even realize it mm. because they, they mm. always put a date on their happiness. I'll be happy when this happens, when mm-hmm. that happens, when I get that car, when I go to do photography full time, when I get mm-hmm. that house. And I'm like, man, I'm actually happy every day, all day. And now, do we have bad days? Sure. Not as a couple, but I just realize it and thankful. And then every decision that I make, am I protecting or sabotaging my happiness? Because everyone can be happy now. And I know that right now, you know, I know this podcast will live live on, but we're in just past mid 2020 and we're living in through a pandemic and I think it's been a perfect reset for mankind because people are connecting in such a more meaningful way than they used mm-hmm. to. And then there's so yeah. many people are actually realizing what's most important, which time is number one. Without time, you have nothing. Without health, you have nothing. Then it's the strength of your relationships and then job fulfillment. And for me, it's in that order. And and I feel like our industry is so ripe in the sense that because people are connecting in so many beautiful ways, then they're going to start appreciating photography again in, in, in such a deeper level and people are going to want to celebrate. And what better way to celebrate living through this, going through this and understanding your mortality and how fragile life and relationships can be than with a beautiful portrait by insert your studio name here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, those are some seriously wise words there, (laughs) for sure. And, you know, I wanted to ask you about the marketing piece. You know, obviously, you said a lot of amazing things in there after that. But it because I had a feeling you were going to say that, that you were going to say that you hustled and that you have the drive and the tenacity to make it work. I just just had a feeling you were going to (laughs) say, I did this, 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 and this. Because I think that a lot of times what happens with students is that they're missing that piece like you said, it's like, okay, what I've done, my website and this and that, and why aren't the clients coming? And it's like, that's not how it works. There's so much more to it. And on top of, like you said, 
having to have that, like, I know I'm going to make this work. I can relate to that a lot. I'm very similar in that when I put my eye on something and, and like failure is no option. I know that sounds cliche, but that's truly the mindset that I have to be in. And I know I'm going to make it work no matter what, like this is going to happen. And I feel like it's such a powerful way to think in order to, you know, move forward towards those things you want to achieve. It's just so powerful to have that mindset. There's no doubt. I mean, let me just get your words that you just mentioned, and I want to flip the script a little bit. Okay. Failure is an option. Failure, in fact, is actually the foundation to success. And although I know you believe that, and I know that I'm converting it a little bit, but if you look back at any success that you've ever had, it was all built on the foundation of failure. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. it could be those 10 bridal stores that I went to to get one that actually said, yes, so nine times I did it and and, and so on. Or when I do a shoot and something doesn't work out and then I practice that technique and I get back to it like, oh my God, that worked. And there are so many things that people are missing these days. And again, I'm going to sound all old and fuddy-duddy, but you know, the iPhone, I love and hate it. I I want to smash it like on the wall every day and I want to embrace it and hug it mm-hmm. like, like and spoon it every day because it does so many things. What it's basically done is it's conditioned us to want a shortcut to anything. So there's an app for that. I want to do this and you can do so many things, but what can't be, you can learn knowledge, but you can't really learn wisdom. You just have to live it. And I think that unfortunately people just want the shortcut to everything and it's always get rich quick. It's right. Well, right. why don't you get rich slow. (laughs) Right, right. You know, so for me, and going back to the marketing thing, for me, it was every point should lead in my direction. When you want to get a wedding or a portrait, you have to know the name Excite and you have to come back to me. So for me, I did my own bridal fair after being dismayed about a bridal show. I'm like, I think I can do better. So I did. I've done cinema advertising. I I did radio. I I gave away a free $50,000 wedding and we did it in different ways. I would Mm -hmm. go to every, even cakes. Cakes traditionally are booked last. But for the one in 10 weddings where they book the cake first because they know someone, then why couldn't they get a, be referred to a photographer. So I would get a cake place, design a cake, and then get suggestions of the couple in the foreground and the background and humanize the cake. So now that when people buy a cake, they're associating themselves with me and what I can do for them. I mean, you you name it, we ended up doing it. And we were very creative and clever on how we positioned ourselves in the market. And to this day, even in LA, I'm like, I, I was getting burnt out, you know, a few years ago, and I, I could see myself getting burnt out rather than reaching that level. And I said to my wife, baby, uh, can you block out these two months? And I don't want a speaking engagement. I don't want any paid shoots, commissions, nothing. I just want to play. So here I am knocking on doors of these modeling agencies because I want talent. And here I am the quote unquote multi-award winner, blah, blah, blah. And no one knows me from Adam. So I have to prove myself just like everybody else. I knocked on doors of fashion houses. I knocked on doors of agencies, developed this huge network and the same thing that I'm doing here in Vegas. And then I've literally reinvented myself and created this ridiculously huge body of work. And a symbol of that commitment, I ended up winning the Australian Fashion Photographer of the Year a few years ago, which everyone knows me for weddings. And I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, that's that's pretty cool. And it wasn't mm-hmm. so much the... And I've got to say this again, we said it off air, but for me, I always focus on the process, not the result. In other words, I'll only be happy if this print scores X amount in a competition or it wins. No, no, no. 
hold back, focus on exactly what you want to do, what you need to do to actually achieve this. Where that leaves you doesn't really matter. And it brings me, I guess, to one of my ethos is that I liken business to a diet. Okay, so for example, when it, many of us are getting, we're unhealthy, we start eating better. When many of us are getting a little bit rounded around the, the, mid, the mid area or getting a bit of a double chin, we're like, oh, we have to eat better. Or we go to the gym and almost every single person I've ever met have actually have gone to a gym and then quit because they didn't see quick results. Right. So what I'm getting at, the analogy in business is this. When you're in business and your business is unhealthy, in other words, you're getting overweight, you're unhealthy in business, then you start to work on it. So the idea is that too many of us work in the business, not on the business. So then we start to get fit metaphorically in business. Great. Money's coming in, working. Okay. SEO. We've got a bit of hustle. Things are great. And then we only react. We're reacting to the work that's come in, not being proactive to maintain it. So what I'm getting at, the underlying thing is this. I believe that people should treat their business like a total lifestyle change. This is the way I eat now. This is the way I exercise now. The same way with it. Like I'm, I'm on the ketogenic diet, right? So I just don't eat many of the simple carbs. I don't eat sugars. This is the way I eat now. Now, if I just did it as a fad, lost weight, oh, I look really good for that thing that I wanted to do, whatever, but now I'll just eat crap because COVID's happening and it's comfort food. Well, no, you know, yes, you can do that. Everyone's got their own prerogative, but it has to be a lifestyle choice. And for me, why I maintained my business back then so well is even at the peak of my being busy, I spent one day a week on the road. And that is creating new relationships and manifesting the current ones and the existing ones that I had. And I was always healthy, so to speak. Yeah, I love that analogy, making it a lifestyle. And it's interesting too, because if I think like, okay, I'm kind of like not getting as many inquiries as normal or not getting as many clients, that's when I know I'm slipping. Like I'm not staying with the program and I'm like, okay, I got to get back on it. It's exactly how you described. Yeah, like in Australia, well, I'll say it plainly, just... Stop being a lazy bastard. Yeah, yeah, totally, (laughs) totally. Because we can blame pandemic, we can blame uh, recession, we can blame everything. But I'm telling you now, and I've always said this, and now it's ringing to be true, I've said to my students, I go, pretend like you're hungry because maybe one day you will be. Mm -hmm. And here we are. And I'm like, well, COVID. I'm like, well, okay. And I I would literally mentor people. And to this day, I've got mentor sessions this week. And people say, Jerry, how do I get work now? And I'm like... Who can't get COVID? Animals. I go, do you like pets? Yes. Do you have a dog? Yes. Have you ever gone to a trainer or a vet or anyone? Absolutely. Well, why don't you go to your local dog trainer and say for every uh, dog that gets trained in that four-week program, that with permission of the owner, you photograph the, the portraits of the dogs, outside, canvas background, social distance, all that stuff, and then go photograph these pets. And then when they pick up the dog, you can photograph with the owner as well. No obligation to buy. Prints mm-hmm. start from so-and-so. People spend in excess of. Now, you're the hero of the community and all of a sudden you're selling these pet portraits because most people who have pets spend money on them arguably more than their children. <laughs> right. There's a whole industry. I go, does your camera have the capability of shooting film as in motion? Yes. I go, 
do you think people need social media? Well, of course they do. Why don't you go to your local strip mall and walk into every store and offer to do them at no charge for the moment? Basically, you are going to film that restaurant and how they social distance, how they wear the mask, Mm -hmm. how they prepare the food, how they walk in, the culture, the delivery, the people eating the food. Create a month's worth of content and with film and stills and then offer them that you'll do, you know, two posts a day and I'll charge you a hundred bucks a week. Who would not say yes to that? 10 people do that. There's a thousand dollars a week. Well, now you can pay your bills and thrive and survive. But of course you're too busy. You're doing your own Photoshop and there's a recession, there's a pandemic, there's no work. Guys, we've got to wake up. Like there are so many opportunities right now. Who needs, Mm -hmm. I even heard Even after I I mentioned this to many people, Kevin O'Leary, who's Mr. Wonderful in the Shark Tank, this is no bullshit. I I freaked me out. There was an interview a week or so ago, and he said, for anyone suffering out there is I would become a photographer and videographer and do social media for businesses who need it. And I'm like, oh my goodness me. First of all, like you've got this sort of one of the, the highest profile people in business and, and obviously with TV and all, at the moment, encouraging people who are not photographers and filmmakers to do this, let alone there's this us who've already <laughs> right. got the gear. We know what we're doing and we're sitting on our ass waiting for the work to come. Like it's just insane to me. But anyway, I, as you can hear, I'm very passionate about the process. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's good. And, and it, it goes back to being creative and thinking about it's not about, you know, pity me or poor me or whatever, but what can I do right now? Yeah. Like, it goes back to making it work. How can I do this? Absolutely. Because there's always a way. There's always a way. Yes, there is. And if you want to see it and you want to believe it, you'll find it and you'll figure it out. If you don't, you won't. Yeah. Like, it seems like that is the mentality here with that. If you're looking, I mean, subconsciously, if you're looking for an out, you'll always find it because it's just easier. Right. Right. I mean, you know, sometimes it's right place, right time. You know, I've even heard people say, oh, Sue, you know, Sue Bryce, you know, she's only, you know, she, dismiss her success as something. And I, I've had a bunch of guys do this. Like I'd walk mm. into a conversation and they'll di- dismiss her success as not deserved. Oh, she was lucky and she was this. And I said to these guys, I'm like, guys, could it be that she's just really talented and she just worked her ass off. Could it just be that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're looking Which at me is like exactly what it is. Like, what it is. <laughs> they're looking at me like I was an alien. And I said this. Yeah. I said this on stage, and one day in front of a thousand odd people, and you know the audience erupted into applause and stuff like that. I'm like, guys, you know, I think too many people dismiss successful people as unlucky or undeserving of their success because it actually justifies their own failure. Well, mm-hmm. screw mm-hmm. you, because. Even if anyone successful was lucky, would you not take advantage of that opportunity that you got? Or would you have actually milked that as much and for all it's worth? And people like, for for example, dismiss the Kardashian family. And I'll often say, when I talk about branding, I I say, people can be brands. What do you, you know, what do you think of Kim Kardashian? And then, you know, all these insulting words would come up. And I'm like, Genius. <laughs> Genius. Brilliant. Way to use what you have and go for it. Hell and then the yes. guy would say, well, it's just boobs and butt. And I'm like, you know what? Even if it was boobs and butt, tell me another human being on the earth that has maximized boobs and butt, which of course we all know it's a lot more. <laughs> Better than totally. But, but man, I mean, you think of the strands that, and that the mother and the decision-making and all the sliding doors and all the things that have come 
from this one family mm-hmm. is staggering. Whether or not, not I believe in in this, that or whatever, but I just think it's staggering. I, I, and right. again, as if something good would have happened to one of us and, and, and if we were lucky or fortunate or in the right place at the right time, well, of course, I'm not going to pursue this avenue because I don't want to justify to the haters out there that uh, I'm only successful because of this, this and this. Well, that's just stupid. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, so there is no doubt a combination of elements that make one successful. For me, when I speak to people that have known me and, you know, I, I recently my my uncle passed away only a week or so ago, which was the the closest person of a certain age group that has passed away in our family. And it was very, very tough. And I mm-hmm. we recalled conversations with with them because they have no children and they're, they're great role models for us in terms of being the affectionate uncles and aunties for everyone. Mm-hmm. And it was so beautiful the when they would, you know, my auntie who ironically was trying to comfort me about my uncle passing when I spoke to her, and she said, we've always been proud of you. You know that, you know, Uncle Alex has always been proud of you. you you've always known what you've wanted. You, you, you're living your dream. I, I can't even explain it. It was such a beautiful conversation where, you know, true success, really at the end of the day, people have to understand what that means because people are looking for notoriety. They're looking for money. And yes, that's fun. And, and money helps, obviously, gives you choices and which helps your lifestyle. But the way that she was even describing how peaceful his death was under the circumstances that he passed away from lung cancer, but the way she described his last breath and even the fact that he had almost a a, a half a smile on his face when he passed and my, my family went over because there was no funeral, my family was over when he was there, literally on his deathbed, and they were just celebrating him. They were laughing and they were crying and and the affection and the beauty in which she mentioned those words and those stories, I just can't, you know, I know that my wife and I have something very, very similar. And with the maturity that comes with time and the fact that our relationships get stronger with every day and the appreciation of what you have comes every day, that's what true success comes, uh, really mm-hmm. what, what it looks like to me. And everything else is just gravy, you know, everything else uh, for me, my mandate as a human is affecting people in a positive way. That's my elevator pitch. Whether it's making someone look and feel beautiful and creating something purposeful or whether it's being able to do that for others in the photography industry. And I've mentored a lot of other people in different industries because, you know, your knowledge translates into different things. You really understand that all of these things are a vehicle to it. So if there's something in the business that you don't like to do, and it's just part of what you need to do. So do what you do, what you have to do, do what you want to do is see it as a vehicle to really do what makes you the happiest. For me, mm-hmm. it's affecting people in a positive way, but also being creative doing it. I love the creativity. For me, it's, it's that rush. It's that journey of creation. And it's not always photography. It could be a, a business idea and all these different things. But yeah, man, I know that was a, I don't know where we started from there, but. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just listening like, oh yeah, totally. Mm -hmm, Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, everything you said is so beautiful, really, truly. And I'm sorry about your uncle. And it, you know, it is devastating to lose someone like that. But when you can take what you've learned from him and apply it and just looking at what is most important. And like you said, through the pandemic and just everyone kind of really taking a step back to see what is important in life. I mean, that's a huge 
silver lining, I guess, to some really horrible things like your uncle passing or just, you know, this crazy time that we live in. And it really does come down to that, to looking at what truly makes you happy. And you said something else in there about sometimes people are happy and they don't even realize it. That really hit me. And I think sometimes, even though I know that I'm like, I am, am such, I'm full of so much joy. Like I am looking out at a lake right now and this house, I live on, I have these beautiful children, my husband, I couldn't ask for a better partner in life. Like I've got so much that I'm so thankful for. I get to be this podcast host, and there are days when I, I, I can feel this, like, it's almost like I'm not allowing myself to feel the happiness this day because I'm focused on something, ne- you know, some sort of negativity. I don't even know where it's coming from, and and I do that more often than I should. And so when you said that, I was like, ooh, I love that. That really hit me. It really yeah. hit me, you know? I appreciate that. I think one thing that a lot of people don't know about me is – in the last three years, I developed tinnitus, or people call it tinnitus. I, Jerry, I've had it since 1999. Oh my god! The day okay. after Easter. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm with you on that. Well, I'm going <laughs> to speak to you off air about about that. But for those mm-hmm. of you who don't know what the hell we're talking about, and I wouldn't even call it a ringing because a ringing in the ear sounds like it it goes up and down, up and down. My tinnitus. I don't know about yours, Nikki, but I have this incredibly high pitch sound 24 seven. Same, and, never leaves. Okay. All right. Ever. Well, Nikki, with the, with the permission of our partners, I think we need to get together and spoon for a little bit to make ourselves <laughs> feel, feel better about, about what we're doing. But so for those of you who don't know what this means, guys, is that it, it's a constant sound in your ear that prevents you from ever having silence and in some ways ever having complete peace. Mm-hmm. And, Ever since I got it, like two, three years ago, there was, you know, we, we did hearing tests and things like that. The, the tests suggest that it's not trauma and I've done brain scans, I've done heart scans and usually it's, a, it's an alarm bell with some part of your body. It could be back issues, neck issues. We don't really know. But cut a long story short, what this has given me has given me, and probably the same with you, Nikki, without even realising it, it's given me intermittent depression. Mm-hmm. And what happens is that it's exclusive of the other. It's hard to explain. So I'll wake up one day and because there's two facets to tinnitus. One is just the annoyance and the frustration. The fact is that there's always a cicada in your ear. Mm-hmm. And some tinnitus is lower, where it's a bit more muted, it's a bit lower, you can drown it out in the sound, it's a bit hashy, it's very easy to blend in. But when you can't find even a song that is, is as high-pitched, short of Mariah Carey singing at the highest decibel the whole time, <laughs> which would probably be more annoying, it's always there. So because I'm not an angry person, I don't manifest it in a way where I get angry at things or I'm short-tempered or anything like that. So every month or two or sometimes six months, if I can get away with it, I just, I have a dark day. I, I, I have what I call a dark cloud. And sometimes it's not like me listening to my ear and focusing on it then the dark cloud comes. It actually is independent of that. This dark cloud will come and be like cling wrap yeah. that suffocates me. And God, this chokes me up a little bit listening oh to God. hear you say that because I can I can relate on such an intense level that it yeah it chokes me up a bit. It's well I empathize with you because I so what happens is I just literally start bawling because I can't and, and at least from what I understand is I can't manifest it in a different way like anger being short-tempered, punching a wall, whatever, mm-hmm. it comes. And sometimes I can suppress it. Sometimes I can go to one of those malls in crown cas- like, uh, the casinos or whatever and I've got to get my 
senses tantalized so that I can avoid it. And then sometimes it's like a monster where you literally, there's like a monster right to the side of me wanting to, to face me and staring at my eyes. And I know that if I stare at this monster, which is begging for my attention, I'm just going to start weeping uncontrollably. So what happens is that I guess that the metaphor that, that it gives me is that I think that too many of us, when we have our bad days, it's begging, like there's such negativity in the world right now. And there's certainly a lot of hope too, but you know, basically it's what you focus on at the end of the day. If I was focusing on things of the pandemic that I can't control, then yeah, I would live in despair all day, every day because things can seem Mm -hmm. pretty hopeless. You know, so at one point I said to myself, I'm giving tinnitus too much respect. Like it's commanding my attention. And even though that when I have those bad days, Melissa will hug me, make me feel good. But during it, and I'm sure Nikki, you will identify with this, you will be hearing this friggin' loud noise that is still, you're not being, you're being comforted physically as in terms of a hug or embrace or crying my shoulder or whatever, but it's the sound is still there. I mean, I've got a left of my index finger. I, I cut it when I was a kid. So I've got missing a piece of my left index finger. And I'm like, can I give you four of my fingers and I'll trade you for that stupid sound in my ear? And you know that it's just not going to come. So I'm, I'm doing everything that I can. And, and I've, I went through six months frustrated, annoyed, but coping, didn't have that dark cloud. And about a month ago I had four or five bouts of that dark cloud. And now I've been through a two weeks, three weeks stretch where I'm coping very well. So I guess everyone has their version of tinnitus. In other words, they've got something negative in their life that's happening. And I think that as a photographer, the root of most people's problems in any genre, but because we're photography related in this case, usually stems from a personal issue or a personal problem. And the problem is that we are giving our the negative energy, we're spending 80% of our time worrying about the 10, 20% things that happen. And we're giving our problems too much respect mm-hmm. when we should appreciate the incredible things in life and control the things you can, accept the things that you can't. And really, it's funny because I, I recently spoke to a, a professor who specializes in tinnitus. We did a phone call and he gave me some profound words he asked me all these questions and he says, rather than try to cope better, he says, care less. Yeah. Yeah. And when yep, he yep, said yep, that yep. to me, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, it, it was really profound. I'm like, yeah, because some, like something might bother you. Like, let's say, I mean, people like Sue and me, you know, any, any kind of leaders in the industry will, you'll get some crap. That just comes with the territory. And to be honest, like I, I actually, I just find it really funny. I, I, I don't, you know, I care less about it. I couldn't care less about it because you don't know me personally. You might not even like my face. You might not like my accent. You might not like my work. It's totally cool. I'm totally fine with that. So Mm -hmm. I care less about it. When I'm like, oh, that person said something bad about me. Oh, let me just cope better. Oh, look, look what they've said about me. Oh my God, that's not me. They should know me better. And I'm like, no. So Anything in life, I really feel that 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 is a. I'm not saying not care about the pandemic or not care about people's suffering. I'm saying there's things that you just can't control. So distinguish the difference when you need to cope better and when you need to care less, and when you need to put your foot on the gas and say, "All right, well, what can I do about this problem?" And if you can't, then care less, move on, move forward. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, 
either cope better or care less and look at which it needs to be right now. That's, yeah. that's such a good concrete way to look at it. Yeah, yeah. And when it comes to the tinnitus, I've, I've come to a place of, I don't know if acceptance is the right word, but I've almost embraced it. Like it's there and I've tried everything under the sun to get rid of it. And, and it's, it's there and it's okay because I'm not going to let it ruin my life. I'm not going to let it, like sure. you said, I'm giving it less control and I'm caring less. And it's, yeah. it's such a, like an empowering feeling to be able to do that. Yeah. You know, so yeah, very interesting. It's crazy that that's how we, whether we came full circle to that, but. Well, you, and you and I know though, that now that we're speaking about this conversation, we are hearing it a lot more than when we were distracted by the conversation. And that's. that's 100%. Exa- and as soon as you the, said that, I can, I, right, boom, I'm it, like, yep, there it is. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. And that's what I'm getting at is that. That's the same with every problem in the world. Mm-hmm. If you focus on it and you allow yourself to focus on it, just take away the trigger. If yep. Yep. the biggest problem with photographers among many is comparing yourself with others. I'll never be sued, therefore I'll never be happy. Right, or waking right. up to Instagram and thumbing photographs and saying, oh my God, I'll never be good as that person. Well, you're comparing mm-hmm. yourself with someone who's been doing it for 10, 20, 30 years. And mm-hmm. even if they, you were doing it for 10 and someone did it in one and they're doing better, don't forget you're looking at a curated version of someone's life. They're showing you their best photograph, their best meal, their best holiday. I don't show photographs of me bawling for an hour because I can't get this stupid sound out of my head because a dark cloud came over me and I feel lonely. I could be in a room full of a thousand people and I'm the only person hearing it. Therefore, it took me like about two years to admit this, that there are times where I feel completely lonely because my cut finger, you can see my bandage on my head or whatever. You can't Mm -hmm. hear what I hear. And Mm -hmm. It's quite polarizing. So again, I'm doing better and I'm, I'm getting bigger stretches where I, I don't allow that dark cloud to come. But it also makes me human. I'm, I mean, you know, so those people yeah, looking out there yeah. that think I have a perfect life, uh, the answer is there is no such thing as perfection and you have to realize what perfect means to you. And I have an incredible life, mainly to do with the relationships that I've manifested and the creativity that I'm allowed to manifest with what I do, but you know, it's don't let that thing that's been crippling you to define you. And like I said, you know, choose to care less about it than try to cope better because (laughs) the best version of coping better arguably is still not going to be as successful as moving on to something that's more fruitful, that gives you value the same way with human beings. If there's a a so-called friend of yours that does not give you value, then arguably you're looking in the wrong place for your friendships, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, I just know you have so much wisdom and, and so much to teach and share with the world. And I'm really curious what you're going to be teaching about on September 1st for the portrait masters. Well, look, I'm really excited about it. I'm a huge fan of Sue's journey. I remember actually a little anecdote here before I tell you what we're talking about. I remember I was doing a shoot in LA and I was having lunch with Sue, I think on the day of the shoot. And she was doing her first creative live course the day after. And I said, I go, I know the breadth and depth of what you do and what you can do. What are you going to share? And she says, everything. (laughs) That's so soon. It's so true because she did. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And then she blew up and I couldn't be more happy for her. And I can't say that I'm proud of her because that almost takes 
ownership away from her success. She should be so proud of herself that there was a fire in her. The, the, I remember sitting in, in a competition in, in Melbourne and we were watching the judging and then she was showing me like drawings with a pencil that were better than most photographs. And I'm like, man, like she's just got destiny and, and written all over her. So I, I think the fact that she's achieved what she's achieved and she's helped do that for so many people and created a movement and being repopularized, you know, a, a particular genre in this day and age, I think is incredible. So it was certainly an honor that she, she asked me to be part of it. But what I thought, I asked her, I said, look, tell me about your audience and tell me who they are and what they need. And and she said, you know, that the, the common issues are that, that people are often intimidated by uh, small spaces. They're intimidated by lack of gear and also being able to create something out of nothing and thinking that it's all about beautiful models. And certainly, you know, she's taken away that notion because she photographs the quote unquote common woman, common man, whatever, and knows how to bring out the best in them. But but as as I really understood what her audience was all about, I thought I love to take the ordinary to the extraordinary and to shoot purposefully with minimal gear and also being able to sell it. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the title of my talk is, is Purpose and Profit, is shooting with purpose, as in looking at your location around you, looking at the lighting, making it suit the subject matter that you're photographing and using minimal gear and then basically being able to shoot with the purpose of selling either wall art, in her case it's a reveal wall, I know that she's popularised, it could be albums. So I'm going to spend most of my time just shooting in and around Sue's studio in a very minimalistic environment and then being able to import them in, into a program that shows off how you can actually shoot to sell because people think the misnomer is that if you're an artist, you know, you you, you want to make money out of it that, that doesn't make you an artist it's got to be about the mm. love of it but I'm like if I want to continue to love what I'm doing and continue to shoot well I'm I'd rather be a a savvy entrepreneur artist than a struggling award-winning genius who's got no money to rub together you know what I mean so it's really about bringing out the best in an ordinary situation shooting to sell and making it applicable for the audience who's watching. That's so cool. I cannot wait. You said you were going to import it into a program? Yeah, so I'm going to use Fundy software. We're going to import it into Fundy. I'm going to show how quickly we can design an album if you shoot with purpose and also show off wall art based upon the subject matter that that I'm photographing. So, Oh, that's so great. It's just going to be very simple, yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to watch you shoot and just, you know, look for, like you said, keeping it simple, which I think people love, you know, just just having some some simple ideas and just ways to look at the light and the final light and just the simplicity overall. I think it's going to be it's going to be great. Oh, I can't wait! Mm-hmm. Very cool. And the cool thing is that as we're doing it, we'll explain the the creative triggers in the environment, as I call them, and then mm-hmm. we'll cover the five steps to a, a well crafted photograph, which is for me light, location, pose, technique, emotion. And I'll go through that over and over again. And I'll probably shoot a lot slower than most people would think, but I'll get to the destination usually a lot quicker than people realize. So shooting less, but making them more fruitful and more valuable. And yeah, I I think we'll dispel a lot of myths that people have when they start a photography, as well as give confidence to an experienced photographer on how to maximize what's around them and maximize their profitability when they're selling. Perfect. Perfect. I can't wait. Again, that's September 21st. So if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, if you're listening, make sure you go ahead and do that because uh, it's it's just, it's going to be really incredible. Obviously we had to shift and pivot and not be in person this year, but I think it's going to be even better. We're really 
bringing in all of the elements that we normally do in person, like cocktail hour, we're going to do on Zoom, and we're going to do the the dance party and everything. It's just going to be really cool. I'm excited. Yeah, it'd be awesome. I can't wait. It's always a good time. Okay, so there are a few questions that I always ask everyone at the end of each episode, and I'm wondering if you'll answer those for me. I'd love to. Number one is, what is something you can't live without when you're doing a photo shoot? In terms of gear or, or anything else? Anything. So some people have said music, some people have said passion, some people have said a reflector. I mean, it could be anything. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> there are so many ways of answering that question. <laughs> For me, I think it's trust. I think, I think trust is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And I know that, you know, I could, I could just say lighting and I could plug my ice light, but that, that'll all be hollow. If, if someone trusts me, then I can I can bring out the best in myself and therefore bring out the best in them. And I honestly feel that, you know, people have to laugh with you before they cry with you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So once I have that, anything is possible. How you get there, that, that doesn't really, you know, that could be in any, any direction, but yeah, trust. That is such a great answer. You are absolutely right. If your client doesn't trust you, it's you're done for. <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely. And it's up to you for them to earn that trust. I mean, they could come in with, you know, having an attitude or super nervous or whatever. It is up to you to make them feel that they can trust you. Sure. So yeah, I love that you said that. That's great. Okay, number two, how do you spend your time when you're not working? Great question. As a prelude to the answer, Melissa and I have a very, very strict routine. If we don't shoot weddings on the weekends, we do not work. doesn't matter how much work we have. At five o'clock or six o'clock latest, every weekday, we do not work. That's, that's just a rule. No matter how ambitious I am, I'm more ambitious about spending quality time with my family than trying to achieve a different business idea because trust me, the email will be there in the morning. But <laughs> we, during COVID, what we did is we have a ping pong table and what we ended up doing is it was actually on the table itself was on top of a billiard table in our garage, which in Vegas, it's hot as hell. Yeah. yeah. So we moved everything in one of our three spare bedrooms into another bedroom. And we've literally made one of the bedrooms a ping pong room. And, and Melissa that goes, is awesome. she goes, she goes, can we do that? I'm like, I'm an adult. I can do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> I want air conditioned ping pong room. So Every hour or two to get the blood flowing, to, to, to not get brain fry in front of the computer, we will play ping pong. Now, I'm a lot better than Melissa, but I'm, I'm teaching her. But what we've done is we've created a, like a, uh, a handicap for me to make it competitive. So yeah, yeah. I play my first 10 points with my left hand, then with my right. She gets a 15-point buffer, and it's the first to 21. And she's getting really, really good. She's amazing. So we do that. How fun. Lately, every night we jump in the pool with the dogs. We have a table, like an inflatable table in the pool. We put on our favorite music. And lately, also to distract me from my tinnitus, because I found that going from like working and being focused on a lot of stuff, then complete silence is terrible for me. Mm -hmm. So the transition between work and relax lately, we've been playing this and I've never ever heard of this game. And a friend of mine introduced me to it. Uh, have you ever heard of Rummy Cube? Yeah. Runny Cube. I love Runny Cube. Rummy oh my Cube. goodness. It's been a long time since I've played that. It's so good. So anyway, so every night we literally will get our favorite drink. We'll put on, you know, with a bit of ice, we'll sit in the pool. The, the dogs will go in and out of the pool, put our favorite music on, unwind to, 
a couple of games of Roma Cube, but you know, that's pretty much it. I, I love cinema, so I love watching movies. Of course, now it's tough, but I love actually going to the theatre. So for me, it's sort of like a it, the experience of that is really good. Um, sport, anything to do with the ball, I, I love and I'm quite good at. It's like a good hand-eye coordination. And fashion, I'm, I just love fashion. I, I could just walk into a mall and, to be honest, look at women's clothing more than men and find my next prop, find my next piece of clothing that I'm going to shoot with. So... But that's a long answer, but that, that gives you sort of an idea of, <laughs> of what we'd like to do. That sounds so fun. What a fun life. That's great. Okay, number three, what's your favorite inspirational quote? I was thinking about this because there was a bit of a warning of this one coming. I'll give you a, a – the first one that came that comes to mind is done is better than perfect. Mm, mm-hmm. I, I feel that, that that really helps me, although I feel that perfection doesn't exist in the way that people understand what that means, like as, as in – Perfect means flawless. I just, in our industry, I think perfect means the execution of your desired result. That's for me. But for me, what helps me in life is that, you know, well, yeah. And and I'll give you one of my favorite quotes, one of my personal, like, what, I mean, I've got many that I, I've spewed out over the years <laughs> in my verbal diarrhea that I've been giving all these years. But I'll give you one of my ones. And I won't say it verbatim because I, I say it organically in a conversation, but I think creatives are not short of ideas. The problem is committing to one. Yes. (laughs) Yes, yes. And that is every creative I meet, they start just because they bounce a lot of ideas off me and they'll mention 300 ideas. I'm like, cut the crap. What are you most passionate about? What's the most fruitful? What's going to be the most efficient? What's going to be the least amount of investment? Combine that together. Just frigging commit to one, dude. Like, it's not that difficult. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love it. I yeah. love it. Okay, number four. What would you say to people who are just getting started? And I know you already said a lot of good stuff, but if you had to sum up one thing. I would get everyone who's listening right now to ask themselves a question. Are you a photographer in business or a business person in photography? Mm-hmm. Very different things. And as a, as a partner to that, and I've said that before, but it, It'll make sense here. Are you working in your business or on your business? A business owner needs to work on the business. A business person should be a business person and you happen to be doing photography rather than you're a photographer and you just happen to be doing business. Yep. Very, very different ways of looking at it. Yep. Yep. That's a great question to ask. That's for sure. All right, Jerry, where can people find you online other than on September 21st at the Portrait Masters Conference? If people are looking for you, how can they find you? <laughs> Go to jerrygionis.com. So Jerry with a J, so J-E-R-R-Y-G-H-I-O-N-I-S, jerrygionis.com. You can visit my folio for weddings and portraits, Jerry Gionis Photography. Uh, if you want fashion, go to Jerry Gionis Photographer. If you want to learn online from me, Gionis.com. There's a lot of entities, Nikki. I, I <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, this but, is good, this is good. <laughs> Lots of stuff, yeah. Cool. Well, thank you again for chatting with me. It's totally an honor. I've seen you speak a gazillion times, and it's, yeah, very, very cool to chat with you. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I can't wait to see you guys at the conference virtually. (laughs) Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening today to the Portrait System Podcast. If you like what you heard, we would really love for you to leave us a five-star review either on iTunes or wherever you're listening. 
And I really, really want to encourage you to head over to SueBriceEducation.com. Over there, you can find all of the education you need to become a successful photographer. It's only $35 and there are over 1,000 on-demand educational videos on things like posing, lighting, styling, retouching, shooting, marketing, sales, business, and self-value. There's also the 12-week startup program that I love. And there are posing downloads, lighting downloads. I mean, truly everything to help make you not only a better photographer, but to make you more money. Once again, that's SueBriceEducation.com. It's time for me to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Fujifilm North America. If you haven't experienced portraits and wedding scenes created on the large format GFX system digital camera sensor, you are missing out. Along with up to 102 megapixel resolution, you'll find rich colors and gorgeous in-camera looks. There's also AI-driven subject detection and 8 frames per second bursts inside the compact GFX100 digital camera. Hit the link in this episode's description to view the products. It's time to dream big in your creative process.